All right. Welcome to Enlightened Eyes. We're back, formerly known as New Realm. I'm here with probably my first guest, um, depending on when this is out. He's been on the show before. He's a great guy, former traveler. But why don't you plug everything, Nick, and tell the people who you are? How's it going? Um, my name is Nick Seck, formerly known as the person trying to visit every county in the United States. That is a venture I have since retired from. And uh, now I am living in my parents' basement, trying to figure out the next part of my life. Um, hopefully not here for too long. And uh, where can people find you, Nick, if they want to? Um, so my primary Instagram, my personal is just at Nick Sec. And I am still posting at County Counting, working on updating my travels for the year. And I haven't decided yet, but I'll likely update County Counting with future travels, even if those travels will not be the uh, number one goal and purpose of my entire life. Nice. Yeah, I was just going to ask that. And I think that's really awesome that you're going to keep it going and making it travel in general. So reformatting this podcast from New Realm, which is traditional interview talk style, which it would still will be, but there will be a more central focus on wellness. I'm really interested in your journey because you were, for context, trying to go to every county in the United States and you were doing it. You were doing it really well. And you're, you know, within like a couple of years, you had like the whole East Coast down and maybe less than that uh, time wise. But you and I, you know, go on these hikes uh, typically every week. I've been a little lazy. Uh, <laughs> But it's you, chilly out there. It's it's getting chilly. I don't like cold training as much as I used to. But, it's but it's understandable. You've been you know telling me how, and I agree with this that sometimes a pursuit of something just for the sake of the pursuit of something can be kind of fruitless. Talk about that. Talk about your journey from like this is what I'm going to do. This is who I'm going to be. You know, you once told me you're like I'm going to be the greatest traveler in the world. So now like I don't know if that's important anymore. Yeah, I mean, what I'll say is, I think it was a slow process of just coming to realizations that what I was doing was not in my best interest for my long-term health, um, mentally and physically, for the relationships in my life. Um, what started out as this idea as of this grand pursuit and you know becoming the greatest traveler all of these things that sounded really great on on paper you know all of these badges that I would have liked to wear um in reality you know I was spending most of my time alone I had a lot of un unhealthy coping mechanisms I was eating a lot of fast food um and and my day-to-day -day was you know, driving by myself, walking around towns by myself. Over the course of the year, I lived on the road for eight months and I had some amazing experiences. I'm, I'm grateful for having done that and having, you know, attempted to live out my dreams because I think everyone should give their, their pursuits an honest shot. I'm glad I did that. 
However, um, it became more and more apparent to me that I was giving up more than what I was gaining. Yeah, that's an important thing to say. Uh, you and I typically, when we talk about grind set culture, we just hate on it. We're like, that's so stupid. Like, you don't right. grind every day. You just do what you need to do and then just do what you want. And to me, it seems like I'm hearing you say, you know, you were doing all this grinding almost for nothing. And then it's not like you're, it's not like you gave up on your dreams. I think your dreams just changed. Right. Absolutely. Well, you know, I think this is actually a big part of my story is I, I gave it an honest try. You know, I did everything in my power to make it work. I saved up money. I planned appropriately. I put every bit of my being towards accomplishing this goal and towards, um, you know, achieving what I set out to. I wanted to visit every county in uh, the plans for this year were Georgia, Florida, North Carolina, South Carolina. I did that. You know, I, I said to it that I still would do that even after I decided that this would no longer be my pursuit. And so like in, in a lot of ways, it was a success. I don't I don't view it as a failure and I would have much rather gone out and, and learned firsthand what's important to me and understand firsthand that, um, you know, maybe this wasn't the best path for success for, for my own, you know, health and personal life. But I'm, I'm happy that I learned that firsthand and that I, you know, don't wake up one day at the age of 40 and think what could have been. Yeah, you know, I look at, you know, we're told people our age, social media, those people aren't living the lives that they pretend to live. And right. You know, band culture is very popular right now, but Brian Laundry and Gabby Petito, obviously there was other things at play there, but it's hard to argue that them being confined to each other. Like, yes, they were smiling on social media and saying, wow, it's so lovely, I'm in Arizona. But it's hard to make an argument that them being in a van together for so long didn't play a role in what happened with, with them. Um, with uh, Brian likely, in my mind, killing her, you know, mm -hmm. but they were arguing before that. And obviously not everyone's gonna kill their girlfriend or get fights in, in fights with their partner doing that like crazy, but it's not all what it's, it's not all what it seems to be. It's kind of, I guess, the theme of what I'm saying. Yeah, I could totally agree with that. One of the things that I thought of myself and I, I think it would be useful for people to think of themselves is how many of the images that they have consumed and seen about travel and what their ideas are of travel, think about how many of those came from advertisements. How many of those have come from marketing? Because um, the vast majority of those things do come from someone trying to sell you something. That's part of the problem. Many people who who travel blog for a living or who are able to live these uh, so-called extravagant lives on the road can only do so by virtue of the fact that they're being paid to do so. Um, or, or the flip side of that is that there's a, 
you know, a handful of people who are independently wealthy who, who also get away with that lifestyle because money is of no, uh, of no object to them. And I'll, I'll also add along that same vein that that was one of the biggest stressors of this year for me was, um, you know, not coming from money, having a fairly humble job working for DoorDash and having savings that I saved up from selling my Pokemon card collection. But in, in reality, like the lifestyle I was living was not sustainable financially either. Um, I just couldn't make the amount of money I needed to, to sustain this in the long run. And like, you know, is it, could it have been possible? Sure, maybe. But like the level of stress I was under and the level of stress I would have continued to be under long term to generate this income is, is, is immense and, and would have only grown. Yeah. And you could say that you were wealthy and experienced. Uh, and we'll talk about some of the stories that you had. Some of them are really cool. Um, but, you know, think about, I don't look at money like it's one particular thing, right? Like there's social capital, there's experiential capital. You kind of had that. Um, and I sent you that video of David Cho on Joe Rogan. Yeah. That guy is pretty close to a billionaire. He invested in Facebook when it was really not worth anything. Mm -hmm. He made a lot of money that way. He's a really famous artist. He traveled and worked with uh, Anthony Bourdain. And there's that video of him crying on Joe Rogan saying he has a black hole in his heart, how he has any woman he wants. He can do whatever he wants because he has so much money, sell whatever art he wants because people will buy it because he's David Cho. Right. He still feels like he wants more and more and more and more and more. And I can't help but think, you know, like, let's say you did get to every county. Right. I remember first talking about you going to every country, but then there's still more after that and more after that. And when you're in a pursuit of something that's infinite, it's, it's like infinite self-actualization. You don't get to that step of helping others self-actualize. Yeah. So I I have a couple of things to add about that, but, one of the things I will start by saying, because this was um, one of the main reasons why I, I, uh, I could say quit. I like the word retired. <laughs> it, it feels a little bit less charged. Because um, <laughs> to, to me, quitting implies some level of failure. Like, I think I made the right choice. So I, I tend to say retired. But the reason why I, you know, one of the main reasons why I wound up retiring was by virtue of what I was doing, I had to put so much time and energy towards myself. I, you know, most of my time was spent either traveling, planning trips, um, working so I could continue going on my trips. Um, And I wasn't necessarily trying to be selfish. Like I started this pursuit wanting to share my experiences, but it became all about me. And even through the writing, even through the sharing, it it became all about me. And I really didn't like that per se. You know, it was cool for a while. And I, you know, to be honest, I enjoyed the attention. Um, I think at at a less mature version of myself, the attention and the approval was one of the reasons why I started this. But after a while, it just feels hollow. And 
you know, you get tired of telling your story to the same people over and over again. You get tired of talking about the same stories. And I got so tired of introducing myself. Like what first was like, oh, cool. Like I'm Mr. County Counter. These people like think I'm so amazing. It turned into like me just being exhausted, telling the same, you know, my, my whole shtick over and over again. And I also like, you know, it did grow my ego. I tried not to, but I became disappointed when people weren't feeling that way. I would think, you know, wh- why aren't you asking me questions? Like, this is so cool. Like, you should be more interested. And I remember one day I was working, I was in Charleston, I was working in Nordstrom Racks. And I was just thinking like, they're like, I feel like I'm wasting my potential. And a lot of that potential in my mind is the potential to actually help other people, to to devote myself to a lifestyle that has more to do with others than it does to me. And so long as I was on that path, I felt like that that wasn't really possible. Yeah, it almost feels like great Gatsby syndrome. You know, it's like you keep looking out at that green light of like what could be Mm -hmm. even when that gets closer to you it still isn't what you expect it to be and then you actually feel pretty empty and want more you know just using your Gatsby as an like allegory here um and (laughs) the constantly introducing yourself part I can see how that can get just so annoying I just watched a little bit of Jordan Peterson on Theo Vaughn's podcast. Mm-hmm. And Theo Vaughn was like, all right, man, 12 more rules. How many more rules is there? And I saw Peterson be like, well, there's actually 42 rules. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like I did this whole thing on core and it's like, and I just saw him going through the thing he says on every podcast. And I yeah. Just how sucky that must be after a while. So I can definitely see the, Hi, my name is Nick Sack. I'm trying to go to every county in the United States, and I'm currently in North Carolina. And how about you, layman? Yeah, well, I mean, and the other thing is, like, it's almost like you understand why famous people start to get a little bit annoyed with fans. And it's not necessarily the fans' fault, but, like, when there's someone who's a public figure, there's a certain handful of questions that most people will think to ask. And when you're that person, you're being asked those questions over and over again. Um, And and a big part of it, like, this isn't to say that, you know, to any fault of my hosts for couch surfing or the people who are legitimately interested, like, they have every right to ask those things. But from the person who's being asked, it's like every conversation starts to feel kind of the same. And when people are really interested in you and want the conversation to focus around you, it can be a challenge to, you know, to point the gun the other way. Mm. Um, When you, you know, one of the things I like most about meeting people is learning about them. And I think, unfortunately, there was a point in time where a lot of my focus was, it was about me. It was about sharing my experiences, being really excited to tell people what I was doing and why, but I could walk away from a conversation that was a couple hours and literally learn nothing. 
yeah it's like you at some point you become more interesting than the people you meet not from like the ego ego standpoint just you know you're you know if you're just couch surfing with someone who's probably a great person by the way but you're Mm -hmm. like this travel blog guy and they're just like yeah i'm uh occupational therapist to help people learn how to move their hands better and you're like great i've been to every county in north carolina (laughs) yeah exactly it becomes like a it becomes a dick measuring contest not like intentionally but it just does um (laughs) and and it's boring if you win all the time right um but you do have some interesting stories so i do want to talk about a few of them and maybe you'll think of what you want to bring up but i want to talk about the uh African sovereign citizen nation you want to oh yeah so that that was um what I think of the places that I'm grateful to have seen uh this year that's definitely one of them so it is called Oyotunji African Village I found it on Atlas Obscura and I would recommend that app to literally anyone anyone who likes traveling or you don't even need to like traveling because they have random things uh odd occurrences abandoned buildings weird cultural phenomenon or i shouldn't i shouldn't say weird but weird to western eyes um cultural phenomenon like this african village so it is about 10 miles outside of uh beaufort south carolina which is on the coast and yeah it's a it's a sovereign village it was created around I want to say the 60s, it was a, during the civil rights era, and it was created almost like a, as a refuge to African-Americans who felt like they were being treated unfairly by the United States government. And at one point, over 200 people lived there. It's, it's now uh, sparsely inhabited. There's maybe 20 full-time residents. But what it serves uh, more so is as a venue. So I visited there initially as uh, just on a tour and they showed me around and I got to see the place a little bit and it's really cool. It's very colorful. They have uh, shrines all over the place for uh, different gods. Um, I, I don't want to butcher it because I, I don't remember exactly what tribe they are of, but it's one of the major tribes uh, from what is now the country of Nigeria. Hmm. And um, so within African religion, the gods are um, fairly well known. And each shrine sort of is like themed to its own god. And so I went there um, for my one tour and then returned back for a festival about a month later. Yeah, and you know, talk about the, talk about the festival. I want to, I want to, I want to know more about that. And I'm sure the people um, listening do. And, you know, what it was like being one of three white people there as well. Yeah. So the, the festival was really cool. Um, It was, there were probably about, I don't know, 200 people in attendance and they had vendors of, of all sorts there. I actually wound up buying, um, let me think. How do I switch my camera? Uh, boomer moment. So I wound up buying uh, this here mask at the festival. Uh, it's from Nigeria. It was hand carved. And it's uh, basically, it's just like called Focus. 
and it's meant to to help just that it's kind of like a spiritual talisman and what you'll also notice on here is these cheek scars um were are common among tribal people it's kind of something that they do is just like mark along their cheeks i think it's like something of a of a rite of passage and what was what was really um cool to me is some of the people who were there at the festival actually had the same markings on their face whoa yeah and so the it was uh the name of the festival is called igungun and it was a sort of celebration of the ancestors and the main uh i guess you can say the main event of the festival was this parade where you would have these uh four people in these giant costumes and the costumes are such that like you can't even really tell there's a person in there it's big and and it's boxy and it's very very colorful it's got all these streams and feathers coming off of it and the whole idea is that these people in these costumes will like dance and run around and kind of just act crazy and then there will be uh, a person kind of like a leader figure whose job is to rein in these uh, like spirits in the costumes and so they they march all throughout the village and then uh, after that there's something of like a ceremony where each person in each costume is uh, is celebrated so one might be like there were four of them. I don't know what specifically they represented, but they all represented something. Like one would be wealth, one would be education. And each person in each costume uh, is sort of paraded individually in front of us and celebrated. It almost seems like uh, the, I guess, I guess he's kind of like a shaman archetype. The leader of the group is kind of quelling the demons that are going through. And there's also this celebration of ancestors. So it's almost like preserving and protecting the ancestors. That's what I'm that's what I'm getting out of it from a psychoanalytic perspective. No, definitely. I mean the the reigning in of the the wild, untamed spirits is definitely a you know a giant theme of the festival and of the parade. And I think there is a lot of symbolic value to that. And so I'll say in addition to that, uh, you had mentioned being one only of like, I don't know, five white people there. And I'd say like, it was a little, not that I wasn't welcome because I definitely was welcome, but growing up in an area like where we live, it is very white here being one of a couple out of a hundred is not an experience that I'm used to having. And I think if nothing else, it is sort of instructive as to what experiences of some minority groups have in America, a lot more common than what white people would have, where it's like, even, even if you're being welcomed, even if people are being very nice to you, there is sort of this feeling of otherness this feeling of not immediately fitting in that does need to be overcome and it it can be a little bit uncomfortable but i i will say that the people there did make it it made they made it a good experience for me 
they were, you know, they were happy I was there. Um, I made some friends. I actually befriended this, uh, this one family and they, uh, they invited me to hang out with them in a little house that they have outside of Columbia, South Carolina. So I wound up a couple months later staying in touch with them and spending an afternoon at their house barbecuing. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's the part that scares me a little bit too. How are you going to fill the void of these amazing once in a lifetime experiences? Because you have more stories like that and they're all great. So like, what do you do? Like, do you just keep looking for those or you're like, all right, I'm on a different stage of life. So this is one of the bigger things that I learned this year. And there's a lot of ways to express this point, but like you basically you can become oversaturated with experiences like anything else. Too much of a good thing is not a good thing. And in my mind, before I started this, I had this idea that like I was going to have all these amazing experiences and my life was going to be wonderful. Um, but the metaphor I like to use is if you have one night drinking, you can have a really good time. If you decide that you want to replicate that good time by drinking every day for the rest of your life, you're not at a party anymore. You're just an alcoholic. Mm. And that's a little bit what, you know, what my experience felt like, like, I enjoy a hike as much as anybody, but when I'm hiking five times a day and I have to, because it's, it's my, you know, it's my goal. It's my work. It, it, on some level, it ceases to be fun. And I, I experienced this very, very clearly when, when I, so my current girlfriend, Nell is a big part of my story. And I met her for the first time right around the end of July. So I had been on the road for a handful of months. At this point, my mental health was not very good. I had been basically baking in South, in South Carolina under the intense 100-degree humid summer heat. And I remember one of the things I had was when I, when I got to her house and I was talking to her and I was talking to her parents... I was just so unsatiably bored all of the time. And it has nothing to do with her. I've been dating her for four months now. I love talking to her. We have great conversations. But chasing all these experiences all of the time and wanting to have these peak experiences regularly raised my expectations so high that a normal kind of mundane lifestyle could never be enough. And it, and it bored the hell out of me. And I hated myself for it because like, you know, I would just be sitting at the dinner table with her and her parents having a normal conversation. And I wanted to like jump out of my skin. I just could not pay attention. I, I had such a hard time being engaged because to me it was just so mundane and boring and like, you know, that's not me. I'm the guy who does crazy things. And it, it really, having that mentality really did um, have a toll on my mental health. 
Yeah, no, and the way you describe that is how uh, I've heard alcoholics describe their addiction and their disease. You know, they have one great party one night where they're out drinking, it's the best night of their life and whatever. And then they just keep trying to recreate that and you can't and you're just spiraling down this hill and you're trying to grab onto branches. Like maybe this will be the party that it was like. That yeah, party. exactly. <laughs> and it just almost never happens. And maybe not the best metaphor to use, but it's like you're chasing the dragon that you're never going to slay. You know what I mean? No, it, it kind of is. And um, what I will say is that the lifestyle I was living had more in common with the people who chased who chased wealth and money and status than than I would like to admit. Mm. I think it has. I think the the sort of you know chasing the holy grail when it comes to traveling or. Even spirituality, it, the thing is, this attitude can be applied to anything. And one of the things that I learned is that to some level, this attitude is ingrained in us from our culture that you just need to consume more and more and more. While we, while we live in a culture of abundance, it's also a, a culture of perceived scarcity. And what that winds up meaning be what that winds up meaning is nothing is ever good enough. It's not good enough, you know, just to go on one hike. I have to go on all of them. It's not good enough just to meet some cool people and have some cool experiences. I have to be meeting more and more and more. It's like, you know, you continue to chase the next high and it's not good enough. And it couldn't be good enough because one of the reasons why you're not happy is because you're in this perpetual state of chasing. And, you know, I, I have actually made something of a concerted effort to focus less on personal development. And that doesn't mean that I'm like, you know, in a gutter doing nothing with my life. I, I would argue in a lot of ways that I'm like more productive than I used to be. I'm still doing a lot of work. I'm still, you know, watching educational shows. But a lot of this stuff I'm doing because I gain enjoyment from it. I'm doing it because I like learning. I'm doing it because I can see, you know, little things I need to work on and then work on those things because I know it will make my life better. That's that's not really what I was doing before. It felt like a, a blind pursuit of this kind of crazy out there goal and i think self-improvement without aim is just a bottomless pit mm -hmm. yeah um, kurt cobain chris cornell um chester bennington anthony bourdain now these are all people who david cho uh who didn't kill himself but he was depressed um all these people seemingly had it all and they committed suicide um, or overdosed. And it's like, how, you know, from, from our perspective of someone who doesn't have all that fame and money, it, it's, it's incomparable, but there are comparable things you can find in life. You know, you're still a human being. The chemical reactions in our brain are still gonna be the chemical reactions in our brain, whether we're dirt poor or the richest person in the world, 
you still have the same chemical reactions for getting happy and for getting sad and for depression and for the highs in your life. Um, and it's, it, you can't escape that no matter how, I like this, sorry, I just thought of something. Good. You know, we, we think of Sisyphus as one guy, but it's like if there were multiple Sisyphuses lined up and mm-hmm. one, one of them was higher up the mountain pushing the boulder than someone else, no matter what happens, the guy who's almost at the top of the mountain rolls back down. Same with the person who's at the bottom who's weak, you know, the guy with all the Exactly, yeah. Ends up in the same place with the person who's almost a skeleton. And that's where you have to come into spiritual work. And I mean that from a very secular perspective i'm a very mm-hmm. secular person but i'm also a Taoist, and i'm also a buddhist and i'm a stoic and i take things from christianity and islam and, and judaism or whatever it doesn't matter i you have to work on yourself and how you build yourself in your community otherwise you really will come up with a life that's meaningless and, and i'll explain that we are like you said a society of abundance if you took the most wealthy person in 300 AD and gave them our lives for a day, they would probably keep our lives for a day, very possibly. Oh, yeah, 100%. Air conditioning is awesome. Yeah, if they could fully recognize all the stuff that we had, you know, not just like living as a homeless person in 2021, like as someone who has air conditioning, who can get DoorDash and like whatever, they experience all that stuff. Why would you go back to a world where you could die very easily, although this still happens, but in America, I'm talking about, in America, North Jersey, a privileged society, you know, they'd be like, whoa, 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 I'm staying here. And Mm -hmm. it's easy to forget that and think you need more. We have more than kings and queens of hundreds of years ago, and yet we still want more. Yeah, I I mean, I, I totally agree. I think it is, um, I think it's also part of the human condition to be, to be unsatisfied. And like, this is one of the principal doctrines of Buddhism is existence is suffering. And the way to stop suffering is to detach from, from desire. And so I I do think that it's programmed into the human mind to continue to want things. It, It makes a lot of sense evolutionarily. If, if we could just be happy sitting still, the gears of biology would not turn the way they have for human beings. I think it, you know, it takes a certain level of dissatisfaction to want to create the, the societies that we have. A lot, of, a lot of achievement, a lot of invention, a lot of legitimately good things that have benefited us have come from ego, have come from dissatisfaction. And that's not to say that those things are necessarily desirable at an individual level, but that on some level is what we are as humans. I think if you were to take that person from 300 AD and bring them into our world, there's a chance that after two decades, they're just as ungrateful as we are. Mm. I, I, I think it's just, part of being human and it's something that that needs to that requires work it requires effort and it requires um intentionality you know 
you, you have to be aware of these things. And I think also part of it really comes down to what your goals are, what you're trying to do. If, if baked into your value system is becoming very wealthy, you're always going to feel like you don't have enough. If part of your mental um, apparatus is comparing yourself to other people, which is one of the worst things that you can do and everybody does it, it makes sense to constantly compare yourself to people who are better than you monetarily or however you want to measure that. And so I think this is one of the reasons why people are perpetually dissatisfied and, and feel like they don't have enough. But I think, um, you know, valuing the things that are important is, uh, is an easy way out of that. You know, putting energy towards your health, towards the people around you, towards the things that you can palpably work on in this moment or in this week. Yeah, absolutely. And that, I think, brings me to a question I've, I've been wanting to ask, but I think this is a good place to do it. Um, and I think people, if you know, they're, they're listening to this, they can see now that you were doing all this really cool stuff that people were interested in, but you're happier now doing a lot less. So what do you do now? Kind of like that festival we talked about at the, um, the African village. Uh, how do you rein in untamed and wild demons in your life? Yeah, so I'll say honestly that it requires so much less effort now than it used to. And a big reason is just stability. It's like, especially now with where I'm at, like monetarily, I don't need to think about finances that much in the immediate. Cause um, I'm, you know, I'm living in a house I'm not paying rent for. Um, and so th there is part of a message in this that like, while you shouldn't let money rule your life, uh, being poor in most cases does suck. And, and I know that cause I, I was, I don't want to say I was poor. Like I was living an awesome life and I was doing it by my own choice, but resources did feel tight when I was on the road. And so having that stability definitely has helped a lot and maintaining a schedule, going to bed, you know, normally at the same time, waking up around the same time, taking care of my health um, mentally and physically. And something I will also say, something that's helped me a lot is my girlfriend now. Like she is a phenomenal influence on me. She is an amazing person. She definitely just like helps me stay on track. Um, she's, you know, she's very kind and caring, but at the same time, like she doesn't take any bullshit from me. She'll hold me accountable for my actions. And just knowing that like you have someone who is going to be there with you every step of the way and always encourage you to do the right thing and model doing the right thing is so important. Having, having friends who are good people and friends who generally make good decisions and following in their, following them as, as role models in some sense is very, very important too. So, you know, to answer that question, I, 
I don't have any anything groundbreaking to say, but what I will say, and it's almost so mundane that it feels like it's not worth saying, but just having the stability, knowing that I have hours of my days where I'll have set free time, I can kind of fuck around, watch a movie, whatever. That's given me the mental health and the mental fortitude that like, I don't have a lot of those demons anymore. I don't have a lot of the same struggles I used to. I'm kind of like, I don't have the same peaks I used to have, but I also don't have the same valleys. I'm just in general, a lot more of a stable person now. And you don't need the, you don't have as much as the need for those peaks either. And that's important. No, exactly. It's like, I'm okay with my life being like kind of boring. Um, And in some ways it's better because like, it comes with the realization that like, it's not really about me. Like when, when I was devoting so much of my energy to towards trying to be interesting by virtue of that, like a lot of my interactions were trying to prove that now that like, you know, I'm kind of just living a relatively normal life. I'm pretty happy doing so. You know, I still love learning. I'm watching this documentary about how the pyramids were built. It's a lot of fun. I enjoy it. I still have enjoyment in my life. I still like doing the things I'm doing, but I can also step back and see like, oh yeah, I'm kind of ordinary and that's all right. Cause I can have conversations and the focus be on other people. I don't have to worry about trying to prove something. I can direct more of my attention outwards. Yeah. And you know, the conversation we're having um, really reminds me of two things and you know I'm annoying about Taoism how like Taoist I am like especially nowadays because I'm in the same place you are where I want so much less and I feel so much better for it and I want to live just a much more normal life Um, Mm -hmm. there's a story of a Taoist monk and one of his students comes up to him or something and goes do you think we'll have a good harvest next season and he just goes we'll see Mm -hmm. and have a great harvest and like, isn't this great? We have an awesome harvest. And he just goes, we'll see. And he just keeps saying, we'll see. And they're like, why do you keep saying that? He's like, I don't know. I don't know anything. You guys always come to me. I'm just (laughs) as curious as you are. And he's, and it's like the Tao of Pooh, which I know you read too. Um, Yeah. Shout out to Ricky Boscarino from Luna Park, who's also read that book. Um, I'll have him on here again. Uh, you know, Winnie the Pooh is just very laissez-faire about things. Like, yeah, I want to get honey, and it, like, it takes effort. And I have friends. His friends around him that are great, and he just chills and does his thing, and then he goes back to bed and whatever. He does what he's got to do. And I think that lifestyle, if you're privileged, privileged enough to live it, is the best way to live. It's just like, we'll see. We'll see what happens. No, exactly. I totally agree with that and I I will add that um I definitely found that when I was living on the road although uh that sort of lifestyle is kind of like glamorized as being the you know laissez-faire kind of go with the flow thing that's really not how I felt at all and and maybe because I'm I'm less of that person than maybe some of the people who live nomadically or because my lifestyle is such or the way I am is such that I don't naturally embody that all the time. 
but it was hard to be that way when I had no stability. Mm. Um, when I, when I went days and days without any free time, um, now it's a lot easier. Cause like, I know that time's going to be built in. I know, for example, um, I've been door dashing the last couple of months. I'm trying to transition to more uh, substitute teaching, but door dashing, typically I have a lunch shift and a, an evening shift. It's so nice for me to know that I can come home around nine o'clock, eat dinner, and then have a couple of hours just to myself. I'm, I'm so much more at ease knowing that that's baked into my day. Mm-hmm. And that, that was something that I didn't have previously. And yeah, so I would say, you know, if you do have the privilege to live that way, um, being comfortable is nice. Like there are definitely things you will have to do in your life that are going to make you uncomfortable and moments where you're not going to be able to feel that way. And I think it's important to balance knowing that, you know, life is not going to be all hunky dory, but like when you can appreciate the small moments, when you can take an afternoon to relax and chill out with the people who you love, by all means do it. Like you don't need to be working all the time. Yeah. And, Work a little though too, you know, like yeah, of course. The parts of the day that suck, those make the parts of the day that are nice way better. Um, like I don't need the best coffee. I kind of like coffee that sucks a little bit. I just drink my coffee black, you know, and it's almost like I'm starting the day with something better, and the rest of it can be a little sweet. Um, Nick. Oh, first of all, last thing. Shout out Mel. Shout out Sarah, Joe. Shout out girlfriends. Uh, yeah, all, all, all of our girls out there, y'all are amazing. Now I hope you watch this. Shout out moms, shout out girlfriends, shout out sisters, shout out women. Uh, women in general, women, everybody. Uh, everybody, actually. Uh, so Nick, where, again, where can people find you, that sort of thing, keep up with you if they want to, all that. Yeah, uh, primary Instagram, at Nick Sec. And travel is at County Counting. I'm working through right now, uh, posting around towards the end of May, getting into South Carolina. And the post for the African Village, Oyotunji, probably will be up within the next couple of weeks. So if you're interested about hearing about that, uh, stay tuned. And uh, anyone who wants to come to my yoga classes. I teach yoga 6 p.m. at Revive Studios every Wednesday. I also do privates. I do events, things like that. You can hit me up at just go to enlighteneyes.org and, you know, find my email, send me a message. All right. Have a good day. See you later. You too. Peace out. All right. We're ending this for real, for real. It's going to end soon, guys. And then Glenn's trying. Oh wait, no, it didn't. <laughs> no, Glenn's trying to find the the record button.